McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 136. Well, it was a disappointing end to the transfer window that's leading some fans to think, what's going on at Pompey? During the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Oh yeah, dreamy. Couldn't be better, thank you. If you're looking to have that question answered, I would suggest you've got the wrong panel on the uh, on the podcast this evening, though, French web. Uh, but yeah, not too bad, thank you, my man. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's lots of different views. Thank you, everyone who's messaged in. We're going to try and get into the nitty gritty, I suppose, of the topic. But how's it going, Freddie Webb? You all right? Uh, not that brilliant. Uh, saw the game live, live yesterday. That was grim. And then, yeah, all the news recently hasn't been that good either. I've, try, I've tried to be optimistic, be, be positive and all that, but it's very hard, very hard. But hopefully we'll entertain some people uh, who are listening to this. Yeah, hopefully listening to this will provide some sort of group therapy to all the listeners out there, try and get all the different thoughts and get them out of our heads and just, you know, just see if we can try and understand what the hell is going on at the club at the moment. Uh, it's good to be back after missing last week. I've nearly, nearly finished my isolation period, feeling better, so I can host the podcast this week. So, yep, thanks everyone and let's move on. Right, first of all, we're going to review the game against Charlton. And then... We're going to talk about, about the transfer window, our ratings for the sort of the players coming in, what we feel about players going out. Following on from that, we're going to talk about you guys messaged in and caught loads of them. We're going to try and get to as many of your responses as possible. But we asked you the question, which is Danny Cowley expects Pompey to have the smallest squad in League One. That's according to Andrew Moon. Are you happy with the direction the ownership are taking the club in? And finally, we're going to preview the anticipated game on Saturday against Oxford. All right, let's get into it. First of all, let's talk about this Charlton game. Freddie Webb, you're at the game. I know you're enjoying the mental atmosphere there at the back of the Fratton end. It wasn't really a, an impressive overall performance, was it? A convincing performance from Pompey? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, God, it, it was fairly poor from the outset. There was a positive first as usual, positive first 10 minutes. Um, the attacking play in the final third was okay. Um, in and around the penalty area, there I remember one cross from Joe Morrell when he actually got further forward near the penalty area that went across goal, but Hurst was a yard away. If he, if he started his run sooner, he might have got a shot on target, but hey-ho. But then again, all, all, all that, I guess, effort around the final third created very little. 
then Charlton got into the game and controlled the midfield. That's where Charlton won the game, to be honest with you. The midfield was poor. And then that obviously led to the first goal, offside or not. Pompey didn't deserve to be ahead anyway in that first half. Um, they really didn't have any control in the midfield. And the passing out of defence was particularly poor as well. So there weren't many positives from that first half, to be honest. No, it's pretty dire. I thought it was nice to see Denver Hume at the start of the game, got involved in the ball, made a nice run through, got that shot off again. It's not on target, but that was quite encouraging to see. And Andy, what did you think about Denver Hume's performance in the game against Charlton? Yeah, it's one of the bright sparks, wasn't it? I think you'd probably highlight him and Morel as the two bright sparks of the game. I mean, I feel like I'm clutching at straws a little bit here, to be honest. But yeah, on debut, looked like he settled into the team very quickly, considering the amount of training time he'll have had with that lineup. Early doors, to be fair, both the wingbacks were getting forward really nicely early on, weren't they? I think um, Romeo had a chance as well within the first few minutes. And I mean, just play any of the last 25 podcasts. Yeah, it started well. Wingbacks got forward early doors. Couldn't take the chances, but Hume, as well as obviously he had that chance in the first half and got four generally, but he had a couple of lovely balls into the box as well. I think it was the one that stood out to me was towards the end of the game as well when they were chasing, kind of chasing an equaliser at 2-1. It was a ball in that I think it was ragged. It was one of the centre-backs. I think it was ragged, couldn't quite get onto, <clears throat> but the the whip ball in was was thoroughly on point and yeah, good to see. Yeah, I suppose, Freddie, the delivery still wasn't really there, was it? Apart from that, a few balls in the box from Hume on the left-hand side. I think Jacobs put a few balls in the box as well. There was a free kick later on where he put, was it was it Jacobs or was it Harness who took that free kick later on? But it sort of drifted in again. I don't think, for me, people are still attacking the ball in the right way. The corners were still poor into the box, I thought, in this game as well. Do you think it's time that if Michael Jacobs could start, he could take a lot of these dead balls and that might improve our balls into the box? Well, he has to start at this point. The side actually played well in the final third when he came on. Yeah, he, he definitely gave, he gave that attacking impetus. He wasn't scared to dribble the ball. His first touch was superb and that was one of the main things that basically improved Pompey's link-up play in and around the penalty area. It was the fact that he was able to get the ball under his feet and find the right pass often because, to be honest, Her Hurst and Walker as a partnership for the first 60 minutes was very poor. Very poor indeed. I was very disappointed in both of them, to be honest. Um, they didn't they didn't add enough. I know they weren't getting the service from the midfield, but, uh, but I don't think Walker dropped back enough and Hurst was pretty immobile, not getting in the right spaces, not making the right runs into space. And yeah, that's disappointing. It was very disappointing. And it was clear as soon as Jacobs was subbed on, Pompey had that bit of impetus, but they were already... 1-0 down I think by that point I don't think the second goal went in at that point but they were already behind and, and chasing uh, I think the they'd, anyway. they'd, they were 2-0 down when oh, it was that after in. the Robertson own goal yeah, yeah. okay so they, they were chasing the game anyway and it was very unlikely they'd get anything out of it yeah I mean, absolutely and to be honest it's too late when you're 2-0 down with this team who's lacking goals to then try and throw on those sort of attacking players and try and change it and the team start pressing and it's fair enough to say that a lot of teams will drop back to protect a 2-0 lead anyway, which will give you a bit more space towards the end of the game, will allow you to get on the ball. But 
it's all a little bit too late, isn't it? And you could see the, the players, I suppose Danny Cowley came out and tried to give the same 11 a bit of time to turn it round. But you said that we got overrun in the midfield, Freddie, when you were there. And it was quite evident to me when I was watching the game on Sky as well. Obviously, Sean Williams gets injured. Louis Thompson comes on as a direct replacement. Do you feel if we start Louis Thompson in the next game, it gives us a little bit more ability, Andy, to sort of control that middle? Because I do think we get overrun a lot. Or do you think it's really just a formation issue? We're getting overrun in the middle. We need another midfielder in there. Although we don't really have any, do we? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, a pipe dream at the moment, having more than two midfielders available now. Um, yeah, I do think that my ideal starting midfield pairing is probably Thompson and Morel but they're both fairly attacking-minded midfielders, so there's an argument there that you are potentially exposing yourself and you don't have that person playing in sort of an almost, you know, Michael Doyle-like role, which is kind of what I think Williams has been tried to be utilised as for me. However successfully, is obviously debatable up to this point. The formation question is, you know, the big one, right? That's, do you stick with three centre-backs and two wing-backs? Do you go to a flat four? I think realistically, by by bringing in Denver Hume and by bringing in uh, Hayden Carter, I think Cali's doubled down with the the three with two wing backs. Personally, sort of reinforcing that centre back position and bringing in Hume, who, for all reports, is you know better going forward than he is defensively. Although potentially a defensive upgrade on. I'm going to start coughing any second now, so I'm going to throw it over to Fred. Actually, if that's all right, Freddie. Good luck picking up what I was saying. Yeah, no worries. Um, I do agree. Um, Cowley's doubled down on the formation. Um, you wouldn't sell Lee Brown for nothing if you didn't think you were actually going to use a fullback because, you know, uh, even though there are arguments around his overall play and some of his stupid comments, which we'll get onto later probably, he was, he was a fairly solid enough fullback in the, well, with Ronan Curtis in a, in a back four formation. And also Pompey don't have the assets in the centre of midfield to play any other system now anyway. We've got two fit centre midfielders. Pompey gone from having five total midfielders, one injured to choose from, to effectively two fit centre midfielders, two injured. Tony Cliff might come back before the end of the season. Williams probably won't by the sounds of it. I think that that bat fracture, that, what was it, Andy, an, L, an L4 yeah, so fourth lumbar vertebrae, so near the bottom of the spine. So your spine's split into different sections. Let's not go physiology heavy. But um, yeah, it's the second lowest above the um, coccygeal fused vertebrae. So yeah, it's right at the base of the back, pretty much. So yeah, L4. So basically, it sounds like he's out for the rest of the season. I mean, uh, Yeah, it'll be, I think, lower lumbar. It, it sounds like as, as those breaks go, it's... I mean, it sounds silly to say it, but it's good, but it's not as good as not having a, you know, a fractured spine. So um, I think it'll be, it's a few months, like three to four months, as far as I know, for that part of the human body. Obviously, do you know what? Let's get into from here. I want to talk quickly about the goal, Freddie. I want you to have a quick chat about that. And then from there, I'm going to move us along to talk about the transfer window. And let's get into the bit that everyone really wants to talk about, because... It was a shite game against Cholin, wasn't it? I don't want people to be drowning in the misery of that result. We all saw it either at the game or on national television. So let's not let's not hang in there too much. Fred Jacobs comes on and obviously creates some some spark in the game, which was desperately needed. He was able to carry the ball well, 
beat players, which opened up space for others. But could you just talk us through the goal quickly? Because I think it's worth a mention before I get aggravated with this whole situation and move us on. Yeah, it was a, it was actually a lovely bit of play from outside the penalty area. But the key thing for me was when the through ball came into Jacobs. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who played the ball through because um, it was a tight one. But Jacobs' touch kept the ball right under his feet. Probably the best touch of the entire game. Probably the best touch of about five, last five games, probably. And he forced it straight through McGilvery. Drew creeps over the line. And Jacobs is exactly what he's been doing whenever he's been substituted on in the first place, making things happen by just making penetrative dribbles, being in the right position as an outball for players, which is, I think has been another key issue in the final third when Pompey players are just tracked out to the wide areas and the outball isn't there quick enough. So, so, so the opposition can just hunker down in the penalty area and they could defend it, everything pretty easily. Jacobs managed to deal with that incredibly well. So, Barring he's recovered from the virus, he probably starts against Oxford. And if you think he doesn't fit into the system, you make him fit. You just do a 3-4-3 and just have him in a wide area with one striker. Or you play him as one of the strikers with harness behind. It doesn't really matter at this point. Pompey squad's small enough where you simply have to play your best players. And even if they're out of form, you just play them anyway because you've got no other options to start with. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm assuming Jacobs, you know, I guess unless he gets injured again, will start in the next game. He's got to start in the next game. That is just completely true. But let's talk about the addition to the squad because, you know, the transfer window is closed. thing first, you, which we forgot about. Oh, the, la- the last thing of this game, the only important thing to come out of this game, we're going to play... Guess the XG. Guess the XG quickly before we go into the (laughs) before we go into the most important part of the uh, of the episode of the podcast. Simple question: What was Pompey's XG total in their two-one defeat against Charlton? Go on, Andy. You look like you're raring to go. So you 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 go first. It's genuinely this time every week I start questioning my life choices. I will go. I hate how happy it makes you, Freddie. That's that's one of the worst things about it is how happy it hasn't. It so because that game was awful, so it's not making you feel any better anyway. All right, I will go. I hope everyone's playing along at home. God, the tension is killing me. Um, I will hit you with. I'd say below zero. Oh, no, that's that's not what I mean. Jesus, I'm tired. Below zero. Below one. Below I'm one sure. is what I mean. Below zero would be hella impressive. I will <laughs> I'll go with as low well as Sean Ragger's pass accuracy in that game. Oh what was it? That yeah, his um his pass accuracy was it the lowest in Opta history for uh, for a 90 minute. Yeah, he game? had a poor game, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that's nerds out there just shouting like I see Freddie he's just he's just raising his fist in the air you know sort of out of anger like man shouts at cloud or whatever it is on the season yeah. <laughs> okay I will go with 0.71 for the game I don't that might be optimistic go on Bunce undercut me yeah 0.65 Fred even though he really hates this game, Andy's getting good, really good. It is getting better at it. <laughs> His 0.71 was the closest. Pompey's XG was 0.88 for that game. 
mostly from Jacobs's goal and Clark Robertson's miss when the cross went across the box and three players were queuing up. Uh, Robertson just touched it wide. Uh, all the other chances were very low. But anyway, let's go to the... We, we've done the best bit of the podcast. It can only go downhill now. We're talking about the transfer window. Are we allowed to switch off while we, now we've done that? Or, uh, or are we committed to the end of this? Well, the podcast generally... <laughs> I mean, like while we're recording, um, you get my celebrations are just becoming more and more muted every week because I'm just getting run down by traveling hundreds of miles to watch us do what we've just discussed. And then all of us getting ill from the trip. And uh, I'm not even celebrating guest the XG anymore. What has the world come to, lads? Well, even so, I'm just still going to congratulate you, well done, Andy, you know, Points to points, and you know, I still, business, I, still, really. I still wish I knew the tally, the total tally. I, you, I to well, either, either a loyal fan can go and have a look. I track all the guests. No. <laughs> Please don't, or if, I'll do it. If anyone did that, I don't actually know how badly that would reflect on them. Please don't. Um, I, would, I would appreciate it. Someone wants to put that effort in, Andy. You've I got, mean, considering as the host of the podcast, we have like you have to check with Fred every single time to find out what episode number it is before we start recording. I'd say the odds of us keeping track of the scoring is very, very slim, but I'd say I'm probably ahead now, which uh, is as close as I'm going to get to any form of... I mean, you said points there, but points are meant to mean yeah, prizes, right. and I've, I've not heard a single prize mentioned. So, Well, we did discuss that one week. Prizes we, we, when it gets to Tequila at the end of the season. Yeah, oh, yeah. is that it? Okay, I... I or several tequilas. You can have as many as you want. Works for me. Okay. I'm now, about tequila. I'm now interested in the game again. Okay. I'm, I'm back in the game. Yeah. You're back involved. Right. Let's move this on now. Like, as much as I love guess the XG, let's move this on. Let's talk about the transfer window. We're going to go around quickly talking about, and we are going to try and quick fire it to a certain level. Let's talk about each individual signing, but let's try and not spend 10 hours talking about it. Cause then we want to get onto what the listeners have said as well. So, Let's start with a general overview on what you think, five being the best, one being the worst of, Andy, I want to know what you think of Portsmouth's transfer business overall on the players leaving the club. I was quite, I don't know if excited is too harsh a word. I was feeling positive about the players that had left the club because it freed up funds and space theoretically that weren't available or weren't able to be freed in the transfer window when the Cowleys first rocked up. And it might be that you come back to me at the end of the summer transfer window and I actually give this transfer window more of a glowing recommendation based on what it allows to happen in the summer coming. However, that is rose-tinted, blue-tinted sort of viewing, I think, at the moment, which isn't really where I feel like I want to come from right now. Um, I think, yeah, players going out, I'd say... Probably a four out of five. I'd be I'd be pretty pleased with the players that exited were generally players that if I was in Danny Cowley's shoes, I would have been encouraged to make the same moves, I think. Freddie, what are your feelings on it? I would agree entirely. A three or a four out of five. All the players that left, a lot of them didn't have that much future at Pompey anyway, past the season, to be honest. Um, so to move them quickly to at least attempt to try and reinforced the squad in January was a good idea considering that many of them didn't fit the, fit the system or weren't really good enough to start with the squad depth wasn't very good anyway and the squad depth still isn't good enough after January but that wasn't due to the fact that all the players were leaving uh, I think if I was to keep any of the players in January I might have wanted to keep Lee Brown but 
you know, I'm not that. Yeah, that's I'm that's not, what's knocking me I'm down not, for I'm a not five. crying about it. Yeah, losing Lee is what's making me not quite give a perfect score, but that's just personal loyalty because I love the bloke, to be honest. Yeah, I'm going to miss him. Miss putting a pound on him last season. And then he started scoring at the start of this season. So I refuse to put any more money on him so I knew I was going to lose it. But good luck, Lee. Decent labour on the squad. Hopefully that doesn't affect squad morale. But, you know, that's the only thing I can think of, really, because you have bought in a left back. So not too disappointed with that. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. The reason why is purely based on the level that I can't give it a five because we haven't really replaced everyone that's gone out. So that's the only reason why. But apart from that, I agree with everything you guys said pretty much. So I'm not going to dwell on it. All right, let's quickly talk about players that came in and people who are going to say they haven't played for us much, blah, blah, blah. You know, I completely understand. This is just our initial reactions to players coming in. It's not damning them to amazement or absolute, you know, damning them to being poor players at all. We just want to say what, what our initial reactions were. So let's start off at, up front. I want to know, Andy, what your thoughts are on Walker. And as a player so far, has he impressed? Has he not had the service? And what do you think of him so far as a signing? I think it's quite difficult to judge because the service hasn't quite been there. I think what I found, especially watching, I think the Charlton game was that the chances all did seem to fall to George Hurst. And it's difficult to know whether or not that is because of the roles they're being played in or because Hurst is getting into better positions more often, to his credit. I'm not sure which of those it is. I think Walker looked pretty good when he first came in before the Wimbledon game. And all things considered, he hadn't trained with the squad. uh, or I don't think he trained even once with the squad. I think he came in on the day, didn't he? And just rocked up straight to the game. Uh, And all things considered, yeah, looked pretty, pretty decent and has kind of plateaued a little bit. I think he's the sort of player that I don't mind us having in the starting lineup in the slightest. And hopefully we'll yeah hit the ground running sooner rather than later. But I do feel like he's a player that needs to play alongside a more consistent goal scorer than he is currently playing again uh, against playing alongside uh, in George Hurst. So potential jury is out for me. Uh, don't mind him coming in, but I feel like it's a concern that he was almost you know the the centerpiece goal scoring answer signing that came in at that point. Freddie, what are your feelings? Uh, first impressions, good signing. Uh, looking at his advanced stats, he seems he seems more like a just an out-and-out goal scorer, penalty box player, which creates his own issues if the service in front of him is woeful, which it has been. In the Sunderland game, he was able to get into the, into the match a little bit more away from the penalty area, put some nice through balls together, make some nice runs, but in the Charlton game, it was anonymous. Um, too early to say though on paper it's a good signing I liked it uh, but it completely relies on the players ahead of him actually providing him with decent high quality chances which they haven't done yet yeah and I think that will come hopefully if it does come at all from the midfield having more dominance which allows us to set up a little bit higher up the pitch and therefore allows us to push up and create some chances there's no point having a, a goal scorer penalty box striker as you say if we can't get those quality chances to him so that's up for the up for the midfield really and for the wing backs to create chances that he can pounce on when we chat to the Coventry lads before they said if you give him good service from wide and little through balls he'll score goals but we're not creating those chances are we so it's pretty hard to judge him but initial reactions I think he's a good signing if we can get him the ball I think he's maybe got the highest ceiling 
of a player do, that we've got at the moment. I'd, I'd potentially agree with that. Yeah, I think so. But he needs maybe a little bit more service to enable us to unlock that that ability. So only time will tell if Danny Cowley can get the team actually this threadbare squad providing him with chances and enable him to become the goal scorer that at this level he scored nearly one in every two, I think. It was like 14 in 25 or I can't remember what it was, something like that. So I didn't have it in front of me. Well prepared as always. But yeah, generally quite impressed. Should we just go around quickly? Aidan O'Brien, let's start strikers again. Freddie, I'll let you go first with this one. He's not done anything yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Freddie, you can go first with this one. Aidan O'Brien, um, all I want to know is your initial reaction. Not trying to judge him at all. Just, you know, how did you feel about him coming into the club? Underwhelmed. I've seen him play before um, for Millwall and for Sunderland. Versatile player, can play in multiple positions. Seen him play wing-back. I don't want him to play wing-back. He's not wing-back at all. He, he's better playing anywhere um, in, in, in a, any of the three positions behind the striker, so Cam or winger. Uh, but for me, I know he's a hard-working player, runs into the space fairly well, puts a foot in so he can wing the ball high at the pitch. But for me, he's not a goal scorer and not that creative, which Pompey needed. Uh, it seemed to be an option far down on Danny Cowley's shortlist. And it says a lot that Sunderland basically paid up his contract so he could sign on a six-month six deal. It seems as if Pompey just needed a body at that point. Is, which, is that absolutely which, confirmed, Fred, just so we don't go our asses soon? I believe so. I saw that on... Uh, John C. Coleman reported that Sunderland paid him out. Hey, to be fair, boys, if someone sues us, they could put the... Uh the payment towards a, a new player or two. So that could uh, that could be a good source of funding. Don't think anyone cares about us enough to bother yeah. suing us. Johnson Coleman from Hampshire Live basically said that, uh, that Sutherland helped out financially. So that basically meant that... So yeah, let's they also... Paid, they paid let's him because his contract was there. And I know he's on a six-month deal because I think it was Neil Allen who reported that, I believe. Off the top of my head. I'd have to look that up later on. But... That's the finances of it. Uh, I don't want to... I'm trying not to judge him or on, on those misconceptions because I want to see him in a Pompey shirt first. But it but it just breeds that perception and narrative that not enough effort is being put into the first team squad and the goals promotion. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I would, I'd say it wasn't very exciting signing myself as well. Obviously, we're not going to judge him before he plays for the team. This is just my thoughts, but... One of the Sunderland podcasts that we've been on as well describes him as a defensive forward, helping you defend from the front. Don't think that's what we need. I don't think that's what we need at this moment in time. To be fair to him, apparently works hard, you know, presses well, causes kinds of problems as well, gets stuck in a bit physically. These are all good attributes, but I think we need someone to score. Then again, if we do play two up front and we're talking about someone creating space for Walker, maybe, you know, causing a bit of havoc in front of him, opening up space. That's the only thing I can really see is a potential to help the squad really at this stage, but a bit underwhelmed by the signing. Let's be honest. People are seeing me tweeting about it, but at the same time, give the guy a chance, I suppose. We'll see what he looks like in the Pompey shirt. Andy, what are your thoughts? On O'Brien, I... I'm more than happy to give him a bit of time. I feel like he needed to refresh his career a bit, almost a bit like Denver Hume, to be honest, needs a bit of a kickstart to his career. And hopefully we're the place where that takes place. Again, I'm not, as far as I'm concerned, the bloke's coming in on a completely clean slate. He doesn't get a huge amount of credit for anything he's done before. He doesn't get slammed for anything he's done before. He gets a completely clean slate. And 
again, he's not got a dreadful record by any stretch of the imagination. As you said, we've heard him described sort of off air as a, a defensive forward, which there's an argument that that maybe isn't what we need right now. But at the same time, I, I'd be so interested to know, honestly, how high or low on Danny Cowley's list of priority options he was. Because if he's up on the top of the list, then yeah, absolutely trust in the system. Go with it. Good luck. It's on Cowley's, you know, on Cowley's head. Realistically, all of this is. But I'd be really interested to know if he was in, you know, the top three or four players in that position, or if more of a uh, a contingency that was a necessity in the end. But yeah, he gets to start from scratch, really. And it's always there's always a bit of excitement seeing a new player put on your team shirt, isn't there? You just suddenly expect, well, maybe maybe they're going to be fucking amazing. (laughs) Maybe they weren't even really trying at their previous club and suddenly they've just been like hustling everyone and they're going to be 40 goals a season, um, which obviously happens all the time down here. So Since January even, to the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, 40 in, what was it, like 21 games. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a a strong, it's like 1.9 goals per game return buzzing. Yeah, no doubt whatsoever in my mind. Starting on uh, on the game against Oxford, and he's calling it, and he's calling that now. Someone who who adamantly defended John Marquez at the start of the season before he was undefendable. You're going to be honestly, I defended him as fan now. I I defended John Marquez after he was undefendable. I'm I'm an absolute sucker for a uh, you know what's the like a underdog story. That's why you're friends with me and Freddie, isn't it? Really, let's be honest, but. uh... Yeah, oh, just to point out, by the way, it's a little bit weird distracting. Andy's put us on the back of a ski lift in the Zoom thing, which looks pretty funny, but I'm just getting used to sitting on the back of a, a oh, can you <laughs> see forest. That? Yeah, yeah, we can all sit. Oh, we're I thought sat. it was just on my screen. No, no, no all, you changed it for all, everybody. We're all sat on the uh, on a ski lift currently, Andy. Oh, um, fantastic. I could have some fun with this. I'm going to find some... The... Oh, no, wait, it's my work account. No, I'm not. I'm going to be very professional about it. No, all good. I was thinking of some really fun backgrounds we could have done there, but Freddie's looking actually disgusted right now. No, he's not. He's loving life. What are you on about? Fred, I'm going to place you in the middle of a massive orgy, okay? Bear with me one second. Professional as ever, Andy, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Like, I hate my job. <laughs> no, I joke, I joke. I don't hate my job. But we are striking in like four weeks. Very exciting. But that's a whole other story. Right. Anyway, what Andy. other players have we signed? Oh, okay. Let's let's move away from strikers. I believe that's all we signed in the front. So let's go and talk about Denver Hume at left wing back. It makes sense to me in my head. We're now in a lecture hall. I like that. Why not? Andy feels very at home because on he probably doesn't know this, but on the front of his screen, he's at the front, and me and Freddie are like children at the back of the back of the class. So yeah, mate, stop throwing things at Fred. It's not. It's embarrassing. I can't help it. You know, stop passing but, notes. Yeah, we're sharing he's stats. Just a you can't he always does that. It's true. Let's go into Denver Hume, please. Freddie Webb, I want to know your feelings originally about Denver Hume and where you rank the signing. Uh, I thought it was a very good signing. I think three out of five is probably fair. We needed a wing back uh, who could put in some very good deliveries into the box and with volume, which Hume does. He's got more of a defensive um, mindset than Hackett does, uh, purely in terms of getting in the right position. Uh, for interceptions and getting stuck in a little bit more which helps and yeah it was pretty much what we needed the fee was low because Sunderland basically just dropped his value off a cliff because of the injuries and the COVID and everything and in the Charlton game for his debut considering how bad the team played I didn't think he did that too badly he was probably the third best player on the pitch for me Uh, 
so yeah, I like the signing. Uh, I think it'll work long term as well. Okay, cool. Um, Andy, do you agree with Fred? Quickly, anything else to add on that? No, I let Fred have his opinion there. I wouldn't add too much. Yeah, I'm similar as well. I think, it, as I said, when I spoke to Sunderland fans, I think some of them were a little bit harsh because of the contract negotiations against Denver Hume. You know, they're a bit fucked off about it, really. But um, as a wing back, apparently, he could be in a, a good acquisition, gets forward well, puts a good ball into the box. There's some defensive concerns, which maybe concern me if we went to a back four. Um, not that I'm saying we should not go to a back four, but talking about this player specifically. So yeah, that's it really. Let's move on because I think we're just going to dwell on this too much. Next, centre-back had a great game, I thought, against Wimbledon. Looked very good, very composed on the ball. I was pretty impressed. He just come into the team. Makes that gaff against Sunderland, trying to play it out the back. I suppose these things happen from a, a teething level and stuff. But generally, over, overall, I think he could be a, a very good signing at the back there. Whether he keeps out other players people think are going to be better, likes of Ogilvy, for instance, playing in, in defence. But obviously he plays on the right-hand side generally. And, and Fred, do you feel he gives a little bit of balance, really, passing out from the back on the right-hand side, Hayden Carter? Absolutely. Pompey needed a right-footed a right foot centre-half for ages. Carter fits the bill very well. Seems comfortable on the ball. There's slightly too many cross turns for me, but that's by the by. Um, it seems defensively sound most of the time. Pretty much the sort of player that we needed, even though it's a short-term loan, so next season it'll be crazy set issues. But he seems very comfortable and has slotted in very well. So yeah, I really like the signing for me. Andy, what are your thoughts? On Hayden Carter, fairly similar. Had a strong first game. Didn't go quite to plan against Sunderland. Less said about that, the better. I think, yeah, potentially looks very comfortable on the ball, potentially slightly overconfident at times. But yeah, that's... I think he's just got to take things like the pitch into equation when considering this a bit more. I mean, one of the things that we didn't actually talk about last week on the Sunderland game was the quality of the pitch that maybe we should have spoken about a bit more because it was, you know, it wasn't that far removed from like, you know, Tranmere away levels of dreadful pitch quality. So it probably wasn't the right type of pitch to be messing around with on the ball at the back. I think if he does that on a decent pitch, most of the time he gets away with it. Um. Yeah, so I think definitely has potential for the rest of the season. Definitely an upgrade on Downing, who he's essentially you know replaced in the squad. Definitely an upgrade for me there. So, yeah, ticks that box for me. And I know nothing about Weber. Let's go on to the, the last player, the goalkeeper, really. Come from Palace and I hope he does well. Gone to back up Bazunu this season. Obviously, I think the feeling there is maybe he's got a chance to back up Bass next season. I think that's a good loan for him going on loan to to Bradford. Quickly touch on that. He had a really good performance in his debut, which everyone will know about already. So, so Alex Bass can, you know, keep playing games, keep playing well, and he's probably going to be the Pompey number one next season. All right, that's our brief analysis of the different players who came in. Let us know your thoughts at PO Forecast. We put the question out to you guys, which was, Danny Cowley expects Pompey to have the smallest squad in League One. Are you happy with the direction the ownership are taking the club in? Thank you for everyone who messaged in. There's absolutely loads of you. We appreciate it. And we're going to try and get to as many as your many of your views as possible. So let's kick it off with George Slater. And he says, absolutely not. In my opinion, Cullen must be the worst CEO since Peter's story, in my opinion. And the owners are just not football people. They are businessmen. They're happy with Pompey dying in League One. They're happy with League One football. They are not interested in spending money to get out this division. 
Can you imagine if Danny got us up into the championship with this budget? The stories of needing help from Sunderland for O'Brien and not enough in the budget for bur- the Borough bloke is a fucking joke. We want new investment. Hashtag Eisner's out. Freddie Webb, I want to know, first of all, your opinion on what George says. And what I'll pick up on, obviously, the fact that Cullen must be the worst CEO since Peter Story. I mean, he's put him above Peter Story, maybe there. That's fair enough, considering what he did to this football club. But do you think the owners are happy with the club at the moment? lingering around in League One whilst they sort out what goes on off the pitch, stadium developments, whatever, and have sort of neglected the first team and the academy? I think to say that they're happy with mediocrity uh, is a bit much. I think they're just taking that decision rather than being happy with it. The majority of the focus is on the stadium, which we could argue about the semantics on if they are investing enough, or if they're or if they're putting the the right work in the stadium, if they're relying too much on Portsmouth City Council for that footbridge, which may or may not happen. We could argue about that till blue in the face, but we're not going to. The fact of the matter is, this, this Pompey squad is nowhere near promotion material compared to the other teams. I know there are a lot of other owners spending ridiculous amounts of money in this division, which I don't think any fan is advocating. Nobody is advocating for Pompey to spend money that they don't have, but they are advocating for an actual competitive side long-term. The problem with the squad at the moment, after January, even though I liked the majority of the players that came in, is A, there's no squad depth, and B, the fact that it's set up with max lone player slots basically means if Pompey stay in the division and don't go up, they've got to basically rebuild the majority of the squad in the summer. Or if they somehow go on a miracle and they get promoted, they're still going to have to rebuild the majority of the squad. But in the championship against opposition with, with, with finances that are, may, might as well be on another planet, which long-term planning is not a good option at all. We've talked about the owners having a pragmatic approach and treating the club as an asset. But even then, the asset management of some of aspects of this club has been terrible. The academy we've talked about multiple times, the fact that there's no youth players really coming in. Harvey Jewett-White at this rate is our third-choice centre midfielder. He's probably one of the few players with some potential, as well as Toby Stewart, the goalkeeper. And then that's it. There's no, there's no under-23 side. And then from there, uh, asset management for the first team, arguably our best permanent player, Marcus Harness, his contract's up in the summer. A championship team could literally sign him for nothing. What sort of asset management is that? And he's got a contract option. They may as well just activate that. They should have activated that contract option yesterday. Because even if you don't want to keep him, even if you go, okay, we'll extend him. And then if a championship team comes in, bids one and a half, two million quid or whatever, then he can go fine. But it's just some of the some of the decisions are baffling. Some of the infrastructure stuff at the beginning of the season, do you remember all the ticket stuff, the horrible stuff with the ticketing at the beginning of the season? Queues outside the stadium. That was dreadful organisation. And then, and then Pompey missing out on signings in the summer and in January. That happens, but it seems to be with a very high regularity at this point. This is just my opinion, but Roberto Gattiardi, the guy from Leighton Orient, seems like a chancer to me, based on just my gut feeling and what I've heard from Leighton Orient fans. 
So really, there's not a lot. There are certain things to be happy about, but the idea that Pompey are a competitive side in this division, to me, is a fantasy at the moment. They're not anywhere near it. And it's going to take at least another summer or even at least another summer and a January for Danny Cowley to actually get this side up to scratch, which is a lot. And it seems like other teams are getting ahead of Pompey on the pitch and off it. They've got better facilities for the youth, youth academy players off the pitch and they've got better teams on it. And I'm not surprised fans are frustrated, to be honest. Hello, messages in. He says, no idea why we didn't sign a midfielder as soon as Aziz left. He left early in the window as well. Not as if he left with one day left. We had plenty of time. Owners to blame for lack of funds, but we also have the shit recruitment team from the jacket era. With the recruitment, I genuinely think that what comes across is this really sort of scattergun approach. And there's no there's no communication. And all I want right now is for a transparent conversation with our owners where they say, yes, we are not putting the, pro- the priority at the moment into transfer budget or wages because this, this and this needs ticking off. Kind of like when they first did when they came in, when they talked about health and safety problems at Fratton Park and the amount that needed to be put into it to make us pass that first health and safety expression. I, th- I think it was about 4 million or 4.1 million or something they put in immediately upon arrival just to, to make us hit that, that minimum bar required. As time has progressed, that transparency seems to have sort of it's become more and more opaque. And even today or this evening, hearing from Neil Allen that none of the local media have been able to speak to the Eisners for three years. That's a red flag for me. And I'm not Eisners out. I'm not over dramatic. I'm, you know, not throwing hyperbolic phrases around for, you know, clickbait titles and, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm not saying that that's what Neil Allen does, but that's um, that's not what I'm here to do. However, I do have concerns with how scattergun the approach seems in the transfer market. The fact that what is being thrown around is, you know, we're a side that potentially should be pushing for the playoffs that now has the smallest squad in the league in a congested end of season with two fit central midfielders three days after the transfer window was closed. Three days. I don't throw the word around lightly, but it is slightly embarrassing. I, If I was in Danny Cowley's position, having to come and do these media interviews and be the face of the club, I would find it really difficult. And that's why I've got sympathy for him, where he gets you know, from some quarters on social media, he gets pelters for saying the same thing every week. Like, what the hell else is he going to say? The same thing happens every week. And the same question. He, he blames himself, for, he blames himself for all of it, by the way. Sorry? He blames, he, he, Cowley blames himself for the... Well, he's, he's <coughs> not... For the, the on-the-field stuff and the off-field stuff. He's not well. going to come out and then pin the owners to the wall, is he? That'd be oh, absolute career suicide. Um, but at the same time, I, I do feel bad that he's coming, coming and having to say these things on repeat. When... Behind the scenes, he's realistically he might have very little control over over transfer and wage budget. But I think what we do need is just a bit of transparency where Anne Eisner comes out and says, look, this is where the budget is going in terms of making the club sustainable for X number of years. They've never said, yeah, we're going to throw money at this league. That is one thing. Absolutely. None of us want that. What we want is a competitive budget 
that makes a club an attractive prospect. I don't feel like anyone on a permanent deal at Pompey now, or that is being signed at Pompey on a, on a permanent deal, is really coming because they they feel like time at Pompey is going to improve their career or because they actively really want to move down here. I mean, Joe Morell is maybe the exception to the rule there, I would say. But generally, I'd say when we make permanent signings, it's people looking to turn their careers around or, you know, just bounce back from a bad spread if they've fallen out of favour at a previous club. It's not, we're not a team that people want to come to now for good footballing reasons. You could argue Joe Morell's in that mould as well. He, he was being played at Luton despite being a Wales international. Yeah, true. Yeah, fair comment, I suppose. Yeah, I think for me, I, I for me, I think he could have got a deal at a larger club. But again, that's the absolute Welsh bias coming out in me disgustingly clearly there. But well, no, he, he reportedly turned down a move to Ipswich. Yeah, so exactly. You could argue that he would have got a bigger payday there, but wanted to come to. I think he said something like, and you know, players say whatever they say, but he came to say that he wanted to play under a manager who could help develop his career now that's what's important to him playing for Wales as well rather than necessarily just taking the biggest mm. paycheck that's what you do later on in your career when you want you want the money later on don't you? you bank a contract like you see players move down to Wrexham or something like that that's not really what a player in their prime who wants to play internationally is gonna gonna do take the money really so fair play to Joe quick shout out by the way I love the shithousery of picking up Chutzaneke and <laughs> basically trying to carry him off the pitch in the Charlton game. That was that was a bit of beauty there. So Tim Foot messages in. He says, unfortunately, the Eisners are paying for the sins of the past. A total neglect of the club stadium and training facilities. Unfortunately, the reality of this and the commitment to running the club sustainably is now dawning on the fans and it ain't exciting. I think my issue is, I suppose, off the pitch, if you were, if we were seeing what was coming through and we were happy with it and, first of all, communicated to properly, you know, given this outline, I think Cowley's Cows comes to them and say later on, no one knows what the direction is. And I think that's a completely fair comment. People will get concerned if you're not telling them. If there is a big plan, oh, we want to hear it, you know? We've talked about that before, haven't we? That idea of the perception of of board decisions have been bad at every turn. It's why there's always been that possession of perception for years that the owners aren't putting enough money in in comparison to everybody else. That could be true. It could be not. I think this season it's pretty blatantly clearly true compared to just some of the other squads of the league. That's by the by. I think, just, the, I think the lack of communication is the biggest frustration for fans at the moment. What because like it's, it's the, the pretense, right you know, it's the pretense of transparency without it actually being there. It's these, you know, these these meetings and Q and A's, etc. And I don't know if you, either of you would put your name to this. You don't have to. I'm, I'll put my name to it. That I've heard that you know minutes from these meetings are being edited before they are published. That is not transparency. If you are editing what is put into the public domain from minutes from a meeting, you cannot do that in my profession. And I do not understand how the team we follow is in a profession that can do that. Pompey and Canberra said, it's quite alarming to see smaller clubs picking up better players than us. We were told a couple of seasons ago that the wage cap would disadvantage a club like Pompey. But now we've seen that we aren't ambitious in the transfer market anyway. That's true, isn't it? Mark Catlin was going on for ages about the wage cap and how it hampers us in compared to teams like Wickham, for instance, and 
Accrington. And Freddie, do you want to touch on the fact of what happened with Wickham and how they seem to be able to attract players to their club that Pompey can't get down to Fratton Park? Well, they signed Lewis Wing, didn't they, recently? Um, former Middlesbrough player, um, was at Sheffield Wednesday. And they basically outbid Pompey by the sound of it. It helps that they were in the championship for a season, so they had championship parachute payment. It helps that Gareth Ainsworth has got a settled side and by all accounts, players like to move to clubs with a settled side with a passionate manager so they can get behind it. And it doesn't seem to matter that all these historic notions that Wickham are a small team. It doesn't matter. They had, they, they had the better resources from being in the championship for a season and they, they're just a more settled setup to go to. We said earlier that a lot of the players who had come into Fratton Park were, were had problems at previous clubs, either by injury or by being not being played enough or not wanting to be there. Even the good ones, like Marlon Romeo, was the same thing. He did, he wasn't playing that much at Millwall. He wanted to leave, so he came here on loan. And it seems like Pompey are behind a lot of clubs in this division, transfer market-wise. And that's frustrating people. It, it, because I think more people believe in the manager and the tactical setup of this side than under Kenny Jacket. But the result, but the results, he's not being supported enough, or there's the perception that he isn't being supported enough. I just wish we, it was like American sports where we just said, okay, this is the salary that Pompey are paying there. Here are the comparisons to every other team. So we don't have to have, uh, so there's not people on one side saying, oh, they are spending enough. And then people on the other saying, oh, they're not spending enough at all, blah, blah, blah. In my opinion, I don't think they are. But I wish we just had that bit of transparency, really. Carlis Kasmus is in, and I started that already because it made sense, but he says no one knows the direction. We know from their buzzwords, self-sufficiency, infrastructure and enhanced academy, but how, we don't know, except once there is something to announce, we'll know. Most detailed info we have is the Guildhall meeting, which he doesn't know how he'll do things. I think when we talk about infrastructure the enhanced academy i'm just gonna touch on this because everyone knows my opinion on this i asked mark catlin for repeated years on why we had didn't have an under 23 squad if you're going to say invest in the academy you need to first of all provide pitches at least for those players to play on and to create an under 23 squad i'm just trying to put my head sort of trying to use my memory a bit here and even when it was something reasonably like they might not have even listened to the fans on this in the end of the day if they hadn't wanted to even when it was the club badge and there was an actual vote and people were involved and people were engaged and they said right these are the options we've got help us decide what direction to move in and people went awesome they actually care about the opinions of you know the masses that honestly what the phrase that comes to mind and I think I might have said this a few months ago but it still seems very pertinent to me is um, sort of a Game of Thrones reference that might be from something else as well is that the wolf doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep and there's a part of me at the moment that just makes me think am I just being a sheep here and maybe that's really naive of me as a football fan because in reality we are you know potentially just sheep who just follow a club around the country literally we're, we're just yeah actual sheep here but that doesn't mean you have to feel like you're being treated by one because you want to keep the punters around and like what you said about the, the training facilities there and sort of the academy squad. And I genuinely feel like, yeah, in, in the in those stakes, we've gone backwards a bit. Like 
again, you say these little one percenters, but things like Bass going to Bradford and saying how much, you know, he thinks the training facilities are better quality. And obviously he's going to say good things when he arrives at a new club, but it's just a little one percenter. And these just keep adding up where it's almost, you know, no smoke without fire. And again, if we had, I keep saying the word transparency, if we had that transparency where someone would come out and say, you know, this is the plan here. This is what we are doing. This might not be exactly what happens. So don't take this as gospel, but this is us, you know, what we're aiming towards. What I'm a little bit scared of is the idea that the ownership are content with us being a League One club occasionally pushing for promotion through the playoffs and then it coming down to sort of a, a coin flip on the day. For me, we're a championship club. We're a middle to lower end championship club. That's our resting level. I've said it before, I'll say it again. One one of my concerns at this moment in time would be that the people who wield power in the club don't see that as our resting place, potentially because they haven't got the history of the club. And I'm sure they've done their research. But for me, there's a lot of sort of fairly contentment of where we're at. And again, if they came out and said, for the next three years, realistically, this is where we're going to be. And then once we've got this infrastructure sorted, once we've got this groundwork sorted and the foundations are in place, then we can put a larger proportion of this budget towards player wages, towards transfer budget, and then we can make a push and sort of take a risk and have two or three years of really driving for it. But we're in this sort of weird middle ground, this nasty middle no man's land at the moment, where there's no sort of real communication telling us where we're at. It seems like a very half-assed drive for promotion when we've got 18 players in the squad and being beaten to signatures by teams that on paper you'd imagine Pompey should be able to at least compete with financially, potentially, I'm not saying throw money, but at least compete with, you know, teams around us in the table. And it just seems like we're in no man's land and we're kind of treading water Water. We're treading water a bit, and yeah, that that that's what worries me. I think is that we're not really going up. We're not really going down. We're just sitting where we are, and it's very easy to stagnate, which is why I'm I'm worried that Pompey could be in two to three years' time is just stagnating in mid-table League One, having gone through another two managers by then, which obviously I don't want to be the case. It's mediocre, isn't it? <clears throat> and you said about that illusion of being competitive and pushing for the playoffs. That's why five loan signings have been made. I, I, I like I like good loan signings. They supplement the squad, but when you ma- it seems like the idea now is to max out the loan slots every season, and you and you can't reliably build a long term team with that. You can't because every single season you've got to try and replenish them. How many players stay on loan at a club for more than a season? Not many. They go somewhere else because their circumstances change. So the squad's now in a position where it's supplemented by these loan, loan players. They don't have youth players underneath them who are worth anything financially and are not ready to be squad out for the team. And the players we have left, some argue, are cast-offs. And, then, and yet they still think, and the board still think that, oh, that's enough for promotion. It isn't. Nowhere near. Nowhere near, and it's biting them. And that's why there's loads of apathy in the stands, and that's why the atmosphere at Fratton Park's been dreadful in certain home games. It was dreadful against. It was dreadful on Monday, and that hurts. I had this idea of the atmosphere at Fratton Park being amazing, having moved down here, but a lot of the home games it hasn't been at all. 
and I'm not the only one saying that either. Yeah, we did warn you, Fred. Peter Thurgood messages in. He says, from an outside perspective, it looks fine. From an inside one, quite the opposite. Clearly a divide between owners and fans' manager. Question for you guys. Where do you all individually see the club in five years, i.e. division, place, finances? That's a really tough one, isn't it? That's a tough question to answer because, let's be honest, the owners haven't really outlined what they're doing apart from the redevelopment of the stadium. You're not going to knock some level of that, that obviously it is good. We do need to invest in the stadium. Where do I see the club in five years' time? Division, place, finances? That's all going to come down if they can back the manager a little bit in the summer. The big question for me is, yes, you clear out these wage wages off you know, the high earners who weren't really contributing to the squad a little bit. You know, Marcus Harrison, yes, they've gone and scored goals elsewhere, but they weren't really doing that for us at this club. If they take that approach, you're being positive, which should be communicated to the fans, you could then, as Freddie says, loan players will leave probably after this season. And then you think maybe they go and sign a host of signings that are permanent and the squad's rebuilt and it's a better time to recruit generally in the summer than it is in January. If that happened, maybe you could say that we push on next season and again, you know, playoff place potentially. That's no guarantee we're going to go up from that from that position either. Finances, I don't have a clue where we are. So, Andy, I'm just going to put over to you if you're able to talk right now because you're waving your hands in the air. Do you want to interject right now? I'm just so sick of it always being next season. That's such a cop-out. Like, we talked about it last week um, with Proudy on here. And we were talking about, you know, how it's always, you know, next year, maybe this will be the case. It's been next year for the last five years. We don't have a divine right to go up. 100% not claiming that in the slightest. But I'm so tired of this pod. No, not in general. I'm just tired of the conversation on this pod and how we frame it all the time of, are we really playing a masterstroke here and setting the scene for a really successful next transfer window? And it never bloody is. We're giving a lot of the time, I feel we give a lot of credit, undue credit for this sort of master plan, kind of like people do in politics sometimes with Boris Johnson, when they say, oh, he's coming across like an idiot, but really it's just an act and he's actually planning way ahead. No, the man's an idiot. Like I have on good authority, he's a complete idiot from people who have worked with him. I'm not saying that our owners are anywhere near that level. Don't get me wrong. Don't quote me out of context. But I do feel like we're sometimes giving a bit too much credit to having this big master plan mapped out on this big you know, board on the wall with pins and bits of string connecting them all and ending with Pompey in the championship. When in fact, it's, it seems a lot more scattergun, do what we can for now, muddle through to the next transfer window, hope something magical happens and one of these loan signings turns into gold dust and then single-handedly just etches us over into that playoff spot. And I'm just really tired of it being next year. I'm, I'm, I'm really bored of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And ne- Next and- season, there'll be the record length for Portsmouth being in the third tier of English football. It'll be the sixth season. Sixth season at third tier football. Doesn't that Cheltenham game feel like a long time ago when we won League Two? Good grief. Um, <laughs> exactly. And that's where the- we get those... To answer, Thurg's, yeah. to answer Thurg's question, and firstly, Thurg's, thank you for messaging with anything not about Ben Thompson. That must have physically hurt you to submit something 
Uh, they should have signed him. They should have signed him. Don't, don't, Fred. They should have done. I'm talking over you. It's not happening. No, 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 no. Disgraceful decision. Bad Freddy. Millwall literally bad Freddy. Bad Freddy. Bad Freddy. Let him talk. Let him talk. Absolutely not. We did this last week. Don't shout over him. He's only doing it to wind me up. No, I'm being serious. They should have. They should have signed him. Millwall literally tore off his contract. Anyway, even if Danny Cowley didn't rate him as highly as everybody else. He would have been a great option to have, and uh, and out of Thompson, and Thompson and Morel, the midfield immediately looks better. See what you did, Thurgs. Um, so, <laughs> in five years' time, honestly, right now, with how I'm sort of the skeptical feel I have, I see us in League One. Honestly, I do. I don't feel like we've progressed since the first season in League One, and unless there is this plan in place of five years of consolidating the sort of the concrete stuff around the club. And then once that is completely settled, more money goes into player fees and trans and uh, wages. If that isn't the case, then we're in exactly the same spot as we are, were five years ago, but with whiter coats of paint in the men's toilets behind the fraternity end and slightly nicer burger van, arguably. Uh, so yeah, I see us in... League One, around the same place. All of us looking slightly more haggard and like we've aged 20 years instead of five. I'll probably be using a different Zoom background at that point. And um, probably financially in a, in a similar spot, but with a better, so, sort of a better buffer and a better support network in place around the club, like physical support network place around the club. But that's my fear is that we're going to stagnate here and become that, that League One team. I'll like, I'll like, I'll like that to be honest. It might yeah, just I'm the same. It might be because I'm skeptical because of the recent news and the recent transfer window. But not a lot is there. I, I genuinely think the appetite to take a risk from the owners went with COVID, went with the amount of money that they covered the club with while they weren't playing, which which every fan's appreciative of. And Pompey arguably would be in a worse position without them. But now no no risk has been taken, no plan on the pitch seems to be in place. And again, it just seems like it's very reactive and not proactive to, to sum it all up. Dave Harley messaged in and he said, we're seeing the result of planning since the takeover coming to the phone, such as training ground purchase and the stadium improvements. Transfer-wise and on the pitch gone backwards, the recruitment plans are not working and we need to be addressed in the summer massively. Boys, am I completely lost the plot and mixed in all this Pompey information and, and you know what we're told or whatever? But I'm pretty sure I paid a bit of money into into the Roku training facility in order for it to be built. I got some certificate with like a square meter of the pitch or or something and that was sort of crowdfunded, yeah, so wasn't it? I got that in like, level. like the wristband things they set out. Yeah, as well, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know the finances of that, but I'm pretty sure the fans pretty chipped in a. You know, a certain amount of the money for it, didn't they? I'm not sure that was an ownership decision. Um, it's good to own our own training facility now. Obviously, it's not fit for purpose still because we can't actually have a U23 team there. But Freddie, I don't know if you know the answer to that question, being a certified journalist. But uh, you know, did Pomp didn't the fans crowdfund a lot of that payment for the transfer for the for the training facility? I don't actually know, unfortunately. I, I read around it at the time, but it's completely gone out of my head. Whether the finances was mainly put in by 
the owners or the fans. And and again, there's de- there's development in the facilities, and I think all the fans appreciate that to a certain level or not. It would be uh, would you be more unhappy if they put more money in the playing squad, but again left the facilities to rot? It has to. It, there has to be investment there eventually. But the but the problem is, it's the it, it, it's the mediocrity and the lack of the lack of movement uh, in stature, which is the main issue, and that's what's getting me frustrated. PFCDY four messages in. He says no progress in almost six years. Told us he would invest heavily in the academy, and we don't even have one anymore. No interest in spending on the squad. Season six in League One. Well, I think we just touched on that with the academy stuff. So hopefully that answers your question. But JC meshes in. He says, sad with how the season's gone. This is the least interest that I found myself in football. Five lone guys started last game and our targets have been signing for teams smaller than Pompey. Something big needs to happen in the summer. Otherwise, we'll be here for good. Step up, Eisners. I mean, I think... I think I was no. more apathetic under the last jacket season when it was obvious it was going to be sacked. To be yeah. Fair. But this season hasn't been amazing either. It, it, it's been interesting to an extent, but it's been very new. But the problems on the pitch have been persisting throughout most of the season. Fans know what they are, but nothing's been done about them. I think it's a, it's a, it's a different emotion to last season or this time last year where... It was kind of that, that Accrington Stanley meme, wasn't it? You know, I'm rapidly falling out of love with football kind of thing, where it was it was such apathy that I wasn't really getting annoyed anymore towards the end of the jacket era. I was just getting I felt like I'd just been run over by a bus a lot of times and it just kept reversing over me every Saturday afternoon and then driving over me on a Tuesday night. Whereas now I feel a lot more visceral emotion about it, to be honest. And that is largely because I really like our coaching staff, the, the two lead men, absolutely least. I really like them. They are good people. I say that every week. I genuinely think with the right support, they would be part of the Portsmouth IC moving forward in the direction we want them to move forward to. It's the first time in a few years where I've seen anyone in the sort of uh, fan-facing positions who I can see there in my mind's eye when I see us moving in the direction we want to. And that in a way makes this all the more frustrating because there's like one of the chess pieces is in place, but the other ones are just sort of (laughs) running around in circles on the spot panicking. Whereas there's only part of the club that is, you know, moving in the right way. And I think it's a different emotion for that reason. I'm a lot more viscerally frustrated as may be coming across. I'm not going to complain about that exactly because there was nothing worse than apathy last year. I'd rather be viscerally frustrated than apathetic about it all. Having said that, I'm still raging deep down at the moment, but it's nice that I've not reached the apathy stage. I just really want this to work. I really want the project to work. And we can identify places it isn't working and we're not getting answers as to why it isn't working because there's a wall up between some parts of the club and the fan base players come here and you know 
under jacket they were falling out of love with football to quote I think it was Rico Hackett said that they'd fallen out of love with football but players have come here and fallen out of love with the game and then other players have come here and essentially fallen out with the fan base and oh it's just so damn frustrating boys so damn frustrating jump in I'm going to have a coughing fit yeah all right I'm going to try and get through some of these uh, because you've got so many to go through probably won't be able to get to all of them because I've got to edit it tonight and get it out for you guys being Thursday recording but Kieran H messaged in. He says, off the pitch, kinda. On the pitch, big fat no. Tis messaging in, Kieran. Hutch messaged in. He says, the answer is no. My nine-year-old boy doesn't want to go to Fratton Park anymore. I'm sure other kids don't want to go. We have four season tickets and had them for years now. Unless the club brings the price down for season tickets, I won't be renewing them. Well, Hutch, I really don't think the club are going to reduce the season ticket amount. You might have a bit of a problem there, especially with the way the club's being built at the moment. Um, it's sad to hear about your about your boy not wanting to come to Fratton Park. You, you, we need to get the next generation of fans coming, and that's how you build a successful long fan base. And if that is the case with other kids and stuff around that age, then the club is you know going to be in a in a precarious situation, I suppose, going forward. But it's definitely not ideal, and I feel for you. And we also want to create a, a positive, happy environment that when kids do come to Fratton Park, they feel that vibe and then want to go back. I think kids are quite sensitive. And if it is a negative, moody environment, they probably want to do something else this Saturday. So I think that's completely, completely valid point. Just message it in. Clive messaged in. He says, square pegs and round holes. Why pick a formation that doesn't work with the options we have? Add to the challenge of not playing players who can score goals. Now, I'm guessing, Clive, that refers a little bit to Michael Jacobs. Hopefully he comes back in. But also... Well, no, you said playing players. Oh, yeah, so Michael Jacobs. Square pair ground holes. We spoke earlier on about, I think Cowley wants to stick to this wing-back system, whether we, other fans, etc., want it changed to to a back four, which I think statistically we actually were more solid and we have actually won more games playing a back four, whether the sample size is right or not. But Fred, square pegs and round holes. To an extent, um, for example, early, early before January, playing players like Rico Hackett out of position, which is frustrating. But the three-five-two does work defensively at any rate. If you look at Poppy's goals, uh, Poppy's goals, goals conceded. They have to, they've conceded the third fewest goals in the league, which is probably what the the one stat team-wise you can look at and go, "Wow, that's actually pretty good." And expected goals against is only slightly higher than that. So it's twenty-seven goals conceded with a 31.44 expected goals against. And the majority of that was playing in the 3-5-2. I think I'm trying to, I, I don't remember off the top of the head how many times Pompey played a back four. But at any rate, we know the issues with this side and it's in the final third. I think Pompey a 20th out of 24 for goals scored. I need to double check how many goals they scored. I got the XG of 36.06. And the difference is alarming. So you've got to bear with me while I check that. But Danny Cowley has doubled down on the formation and it is on his head if it works or not at this point. We've got to be fair. We've got to put in the right criticisms to a certain extent. But from memory, the same problems were still there when Pompey played a back four anyway, when they were defensively sound, but struggled a lot in the final third, if you remember those first first few games at any rate. I do, which is why we sort of switch back to the the wing back formation in the first place, really. So look, 
in some ways, you think if you set up in a 4-2-3-1 formation, maybe that helps ignite the attack because the players, you mix it up, you push Curtis out wide on, on the one side. I'm not sure about Harness playing wide right and then how do you fix putting Jacobs in, but if it was quite a fluid front three with maybe Walker up front or whoever you play up front in the end, however people pan out, maybe that creates a bit more fluidity up front. You can still play, in my opinion, Romeo and Hume in that situation. If you switch that formation, you suppose you could play them at the back there and then you'd be relying on somebody else like Thompson or Morello, whoever, to sort of cover them when they went forward. So I think that is possible to play those sort of attacking left, right wing backs or defenders anyway, who still push forward and provide width. We've seen it before when it is working well for Pompey, you still had people whipping around uh, whipping around the left and right side. So yeah, it's possible. I, I think it could work. Let's just see how it pans out because at the moment my head's in, all over the place. 30, Go goals, on, Fred. Scored, 30 goals scored this season as a team with 36.06 expected goals. Which is in the top, which is in the top seven for XG differential, which basically means they are very high with not taking their chances. We're up there with the likes of Ipswich and Plymouth, who are further down the table. Um, even though you look at them on paper and think they're good sides. Fred, does that XG? This might be a very stupid question, and I'm assuming the answer is no. Does that XG take into account the player it has fallen to? So let's say for let's say for example. Um, that the ball falls to George Hurst six yards out, centre of the box, under a bit of pressure, and the ball falls to me six yards out, centre of the box, bit of pressure. Is there a difference in the XG there or not? I'm assuming that. Okay, you're shaking your head no. So that XG differential just, it doesn't tell us that we've been unlucky with the goal-scoring opportunities. It means that they have been dire converting those goal scoring opportunities just to just to clarify that we can't hide behind bad luck here as a reason we've not hit the expected goals no no I don't think we have PDO do we in football Fred do we no exactly that that matches chance of a sports Alfie John messages in he says squad is way too small after the Williams injury it looks like we have to rely on you for backup when Mingy's fit and we can come recall uh, Jerry White is is uh is Mingi coming back into the into the team? Do we know that? Has he been recalled? I saw him to a training the other day. I think it was posted on yeah, on his trained, Insta. I saw him today. Training. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Today. Today being Thursday. Everybody. I don't know, but it would be a smart move to to call him up now and get him back into the squad because we need everyone we can get. Jack Hinton messaged in. He says the owners need to dig deep into their pockets and allow Cowley to get the players he wants within reason. Next summer is huge because League One won't get it any easier. I think that's fair to say as well. There are some teams that when they come down from the championship this season, when you look at who's about, I don't know, you know, the Derby situation's a complete anomaly to me. But even teams like Barnsley, who are, you know, currently doing rubbish in the championship. And I say that, shout out to any of my Barnsley friends who are listening. Rubbish. Um they're still going to be a competitive team in League One. A bit like Rotherham coming down as well. Barnsley will do well, in my opinion, when they come down playing the style of football they do and and probably will end up getting promoted again. So yeah, it's going to be tough to get promoted next season as well. Josh Lish messes in. He says, this window shows three things. Number one, we spent some of the budget moving the lights of Marquis on. Two, the budget is being rigidly stuck to. Three, 
We only start long-term planning in the summer. The eyes does know the price of everything and the value of nothing. My, my concern is from the, the Andrew Cullen latest update that came out while we're recording, and I say this having not watched it myself because we're recording, but looking at people's comments on it, it looks like he said something along the lines that we're maxing out the budget. Um, shout out Ryan Stilwell for, for chatting about that on, on Twitter, friend of the pod and guest Ryan Stilwell. He says, I can't figure this football club out. Danny Cowley theorised this week, we now probably have the smallest squad in the division, yet for the second time this season, we've increased the budget, apparently. We're maxing the budget, but we still have a tiny squad. How does that work? And yeah, it's a worry. Well, the budget's obviously not very big, is it? That, that's, my, that's the only thing you can surmise from that. Or either that, or the, or the loan signings have high wages. They're paying full championship wages, and, the, and that's where all the money is compared to the rest of the squad. But even then, it's that's a stretch. That's, that's a stretch. A terrible that loan deal if we're paying, yeah, hundred percent of wages for for championship wage players. That seems uh, it's like renting instead of paying a mortgage, right? The money goes into a black hole realistically when you're doing that, and you get very little out of it because we're not a promotion squad. We've known that for most of the season, if not all of the season. So that's yeah. Lofty Bub mentions in. He says, let's be honest here. Almost six years in the league and we've got the smallest squad in the league. Smaller than the likes of Morecambe, Cambridge and Doncaster. Danny Cowley had one aim last season and was for him to finish in the playoffs. He didn't deliver. So why was he appointed? He's made us look weaker and worse than Jacket. The fact that the board chose him over the German dude, or German guy, (laughs) that played night attacking football. I think he's talking about Stendhal there. Uh, and was very passionate, is beyond me. We should have given that guy a go after his failure to take us to the playoffs. I, I'm going to say I disagree because you can't judge someone on the first few months he's come in as manager, trying to turn around that that squad that was you know, sinking out of ideas under Kenny Jacket. For me, the, the blame has to go when you're looking at the sort of recruitment, at the, the, the recruitment team, the sporting director. And then you look at, do you blame the ownership for not giving them enough budget to recruit? I don't know, really. But yeah, I don't think you can blame Danny Cowley at this moment in time. I know some people will, but I won't at all. We'll see what happens in the summer again. I don't know that's a, what we said, Andy, earlier on about waiting there. But you've got to give a manager longer time, considering how much time they gave Kenny Jacket. And I think they will. Stephen messages it. It's not woeful. Unfortunately, the infrastructure has been basically ignored for 40 to 50 years. Toronto extremely mindful not to load a ton of debt against Ports of FC. Lessons have finally been learned. Well, by some anyway. It's very, very slow, but they are certainly not woeful. <laughs> now we're now in an art gallery, by the way. It's sort of <laughs> it's a haunted house, Hugh. Get some culture. Jeez. Andy, do you agree with what Stephen said? It's mindful, not a ton of debt. It's slow. People aren't appreciating how long that takes, Is I think is the gist, Stephen. Sorry yeah, to paraphrase I, I get that. And I get that we need to have this sort of, as I've already said, I don't want to repeat myself, we need to have that foundation there to build on. But there are other red flags for me and other warning signs that are becoming apparent. Things like not having spoken to the local media for three years. You know, that's that's a big red flag for me. And things like some of the comments about the budget that Cullen's coming out and saying, and things like the the running of the match day experience, especially towards the start of the season, was complete train wreck. And all of these things add up for me, uh, more so than 
just saying, yeah, it takes time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I agree it takes time. If it takes time, give us an honest update of where we've come from, where we're at, where we're going. It comes back to transparency. I feel like if anyone's like done some sort of weird drinking game where they drink every time I say the word transparency, they've definitely not made it to this part of the pod, have they? No, they definitely haven't. Div messages in, he says, Eisner's out. Chris Harris messages in, he says, Eisner's out now. Lee Sutherland messages in and says, I think we should perhaps revisit a five-year plan when taking over the club. We're sort of going through that and yeah, there's a lot of holes in it, isn't there? Let's be honest, Lee. What do you think then, Freddie? Chris and uh, <coughs> Freebies Loans wants to know, Eisner's out. What are we saying? Should they be out now? Is that even a... I mean, it's, for me, it's not even something that's gonna gonna happen, is it? It's not, it's not a possibility at all, really. No. When we think about it, who, who's gonna? There's always a limited amount of owners who who are gonna buy football clubs. Arguably, Pompey might be in some of the best position, but nobody's gonna buy a football club midway through making infrastructure payments because why would they put their own money in if that money's been set up already? They're gonna wait for those to finish, and then they'll jump in so they don't have to put in that extra money into it so it seems arguing about the ownership staying or going is irrelevant because they'll stay anyway for me and they've done some things right they've done something and they've done a lot wrong in my opinion I do I do think that the football club should be self-sustainable but they cannot ignore the fact that they are not competitive for where Portsmouth should be and that's what's that in a nutshell is what is frustrating most people Andy, have you deliberately put the R's background behind us? Um, uh, just lifting the that, mood, isn't it? Was that intentional? Yeah, just, just lifting the mood, thinking of better times. And it's also topical because that was before a game against Oxford United as well. So just making it all yeah, very contemporary. I think we lost that one 4-0, right? Yeah, so Ertl got sent off <laughs> yeah. with an elbow. <laughs> so yeah, just setting the bar high. Um yeah, I don't have much to add to what was don't just said. Really. I Let's agree move with on. That. Let's move on. There's a few more to get to. Stephen messages in. He says the video used for this tweet looks like someone is attempting to take the take the piss out of Michael and create an anti-Torante angle. All logged. I'll be honest, Stephen. I didn't go that far. I just found parts of Michael honest, we're, we're, and found we're, we're, the only only yeah. gift that was there, and that was the topic we we're talking about. But no, That's, take all. all it's inception, boys. In. It's fine. We're taking down the club from the inside. People haven't figured it out yet. Don't tell them a secret. It's all a, we're all part of a conspiracy here. The PO forecast are actually buying out the club from uh, the Eisners, but don't don't tell anyone. It's all hush hush. Well, welcome to Twitter, Stephen. January two thousand and twenty-two. With one follower. <laughs> don't want to say that. Could be absolutely that. throwing shade. <laughs> Steve <laughs> B. <laughs> Steve B. Messages in says, "Nope, it's crap all over." Well, fair enough. I can see where you're coming from there. Louis messages in. In short, no. Paul messages in. Yes, Yank's got to pay up or sell the club to someone who cares more for the club. If your ambition is to stay in the lower leagues, it's time for American owners to sail. I think Paul people are echoing that in a certain way. But again, I don't think that's a realistic thing that's going to happen now. So maybe it will. Who knows? I don't have a fortune ball, whatever it's called. Fortune cookie. They don't really provide any real information, do they? <laughs> what about... Smithy67 messages in and just says, the reason why many fans are disheartened is because we've not got a clear vision shared with us. We won't make the championship this season and we'll be six years in League One. If we had a clear idea of long-term plan from the Eisners, we'd be more content. Completely agree. Okay, guys, 
I think we've we've gone through as many as possible. There's a few left. Bowers put in short woeful. Michael put no Eisner's out. And, you know, that's that. I think we'll come to a conclusion there. Let's move on a little bit. And thank you, everyone, that messaged in. You know, we tried to get through as many as possible. So cheers, everyone. Sorry if we didn't get to you, effectively. But I think we've got the gist of what everyone is saying there. And I think we're at risk of just repeating ourselves over and over again. So thanks again. Boys, let's get into the Oxford preview. Because I am quite aware we've been going for a fair amount of time and I've got to get up at 6.30 and I've still got to edit it and it's quarter to 10 at this moment in time. All right, let's get on to the game of Oxford. Oxford have been in pretty decent form over the last three games, beating Sheffield Wednesday at home. That's decent. 3-2. Then they played against Gillingham, won 7-2 away, which is obviously a little bit of reflection on how shit Gillingham are. But at the same time, we could only beat him one nail the death. So seven goals scored. Then they drew away at Wigan as well. Very good was result. The only games they've lost before that, they have one player sent off against Lincoln in a 2-0 loss and they lost away at Wickham, which as we said earlier on, Wickham are doing really well. Decent side. We all know how Oxford like to play. They've got a, a sort of... <clears throat> Sorry, they've got a mentality. They, uh, no, they've got a football philosophy. They play a 4-3-3. Cole Robinson likes to play the ball round. He likes players that have possession. Criticism from Oxford fans is they don't really have a plan B when things aren't going well. I've heard George Ellick mention that a few times, not top 20 as well, analysing it. You know, his despair of sporting Oxford, but better than sporting Pompey at the moment. Decent at counter-attacking sometimes. And they like to create sort of chances through through balls as well I like Brannigan in the centre of midfield I think he's a very good player he helps dictate tempo and there's a lot of Oxford fans that are concerned he may be going in January as well but he's a good player and then obviously they've got Matt Taylor up front I mean we're talking about strikers here who score goals in this league Matt Taylor is one of those players that he scores goals at, at this level. He's got 14 goals in the league already this season. Bradigan's behind him with eight, but he also contributes a fair amount around the pitch at the same time, as well as being a good goal scorer. Freddie, it all looks a little bit like, and I'm sorry if that was not really the in-depth analysis sometimes I give on here, but I'm just recovering still at this second in time. But Fred's there. How are you feeling about the Oxford game? It's a tough challenge away from home with a car park end there. That always, you know, puts people off, doesn't it? <laughs> Fans are allowed back in the stadium, but let me stop rambling. What's your analysis on the game against I'm, Oxford? I'm not very confident in this game. Pompey can get a result, to be honest. Oxford have got attacking weapons across the pitch. You mentioned Matt Taylor already, but their midfield of Gavin White, a winger who gets into every attacking position possible and it, it, and fits that 4 for 3 perfectly. You've got Herbie Kane, who's a threat and can ping the ball on a sixpence. You've got Steve Seddon, who's got five assists this season and always overlaps and always gets to the right places while being defensively responsible. Cameron Brannigan, you've mentioned, excellent all-round midfielder, hunkers everything down quite, quite nicely. It doesn't even matter. They've got Simon Eastwood in goal, who I don't rate whatsoever. It's it not seems- even starting, Fred. Eastwood isn't starting at the moment. Is he not? Oh, well, well, no wonder. My shock. But I just think they've got too many attacking weapons going forward for Pompey to have any control in that midfield. And I think Morel and Louis Thompson, even though I like the pairing, will get run over in this game. And I don't see a lot of positivity coming out of it, to be honest. Andy, what have you got to add on this? And 
someone who lives up that way i'm guessing you've got students friends family who well probably not friends fan people you know who support oxford yeah this is this one of those ones you look at and go i might as well tell everyone now that we're going to get battered for now so if we do better than that it's some sort of moral victory for you honestly this is just a nightmare for me i have friends who have worked for the club friends who have got a lot of contacts in the club friends who's or people I know or friends who support the club, like former clients and current, like almost patients who support the club. And it is hell because I can't see us getting a result. And I know what my inbox is going to look like on Monday morning. And certain people are going to pop up out of the woodwork. And I don't have the patience for it, if I'm honest. And I have to just write my reply, save it to drafts, and then come back when my blood pressure's down and delete it later on. So that's going to be my Monday afternoon, in case anyone was wondering, trying not to lose my job over a football match. Um, but yeah, that is essentially it. It's kind of like you've got a lot of Barnsley friends, don't you, Hugh, and a lot of contacts in Wimbledon. So it's kind yeah. of my equivalent. So my, yeah, my Pompey flag uh, will continue to be viewable from the street outside my house near John Radcliffe Hospital. And uh, yeah, I will take pelters on Monday morning when we've gone down to the inevitable 2-0 defeat. So yeah, buzzing. I, in terms of actually analysing the squads and analysing the games, I'm kind of with Fred and I don't ever predict, I know we're not doing predictions yet, I don't ever predict Pompey losses generally on here. I think that's quite a negative thing to do. But I'm really struggling to see us getting a result out of this. I'd love to be proved wrong, but the run of form they're coming into the game from where they have beaten teams or taken points off teams who are just better than us right now and have got more confidence than us right now on the pitch. I'm I'm struggling to see where we're picking up a point from in this game. Love to be proved wrong. Please do. Be thrilled. Love being wrong in that context. But the, the play, I mean, you've you've named the key players there, so I don't want to just re- repeat what you said in my mundane voice. But I think they're just better than us right now. And what alarms me is that, as we've covered, some people behind the scenes of the club maybe don't share that opinion or share that opinion and think it's okay. But it's, I think Oxford away is along with Wigan away sort of toughest games in this division this year. Um, Them and Rotherham, I'd say the big three that I would really struggle seeing us getting points at generally on a sort of a a week by week basis. Freddie, when looking at the, how Danny Cowley can approach this game, is there a way of, stopping Oxford playing their game potentially because our game's not really working too much and I hope we turn it around but obviously Oxford like to control the, the middle of the, of the play and the only criticism I said was about not having a plan B so if you can potentially stop plan A I suppose you've got a chance against Oxford and not not a very big one from my perspective at this moment in time but is there a way you could see Danny Cowley deploying the team differently or having a game plan to come into this to try and stifle Oxford? I don't think personnel-wise they can deploy the team that much differently considering how short the squad is. But the way Pompey had to play is simply they have to press high, which they're good at, win the ball high at the pitch and retain possession with key passing. Uh, Oxford likes to control the game. I think even if you remember, I don't want to bring up this game, the playoff defeat. Um, When Pompey had a lot of possession, Oxford didn't know what to do most of the time. 
So that's what the Pompey players have to do. Basically, put a push high up the pitch, create some gaps, and try and retain as much possession as possible so Oxford can't control the game in the midfield. Yeah. Right, let's get to score prediction time. Andy Mitchmore, I want to know your score prediction for the game against Oxford. I'm not going to sugarcoat. I'm going to nil Oxford, honestly. I know that's a rare thing for us to predict a Pompey defeat. I don't see where we're getting a point from or scoring in this game, to be honest. I think they're a better side than us. I think we'll go down 2 0. Freddie? 2 uh, 1 Portsmouth defeat. Uh, Michael Jacobs getting a consolation and Oxford goals from Gavin White and Steve Seddon because ex Pompey players have to score against us, obviously. I'm going to go for a 3-1 Oxford win. I I think we haven't really conceded that many Boys, goals recently. When, when was the last time all three of us predicted a Pompey defeat? Probably that, it's probably that Sunderland game at Fratton Park that was on Tate I, I think I put us down for a draw in that one. But well, the, the, the swimming pool one? No, no, the last season, the Kenny Jacket. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, good point. Well, yeah, well, 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 when, when apparently, but when I asked for a when I wrote... Uh, my opinion set on Roker report. Loads of people were like, "What?" Because I just I was not happy and went on a mad one. Apparently, can you make that noise again, please, Freddie? What were people like? What? Oh. I like that. Oh, that's like a that. nice noise. I rate that higher than our chances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three-one Pompey. Let's a, a goal from Jacobs. Why not? Sorry, Freddie. I'm just going to go on board with that train. Okay, yeah. I'm jumping in with um, Malon Romeo to score the Pompey one. You better do. Really because I want Sam and Alan Stone to be absolutely minted because I know they're betting on him every week. So this is this could be the one. I've joined the crew. Why not? I've gone the bandwagon. Joined the bandwagon. Romeo, come on, mate. When that chance came to him in the last game, I just jumped up because I was isolating. I was watching it here at home. And I was like, go on! Ah. I think he's hit the post and bar record time. I can't remember if it's like five or six times this season, but one of those is going to go in, but not this game, I don't believe. Prove me wrong, Marlon. Come on, mate. Yeah, 3-1. Two from Mac Taylor, one from Steve Seddon. I can get on board with that. Maybe even the Steve Seddon one's a looping cross, a quality ball that just eludes the defence and bounces in. Who knows? <laughs> 3 1. All right. Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Yeah, always a pleasure, bud. Hopefully, we'll be back to full health next week. Yeah, take it easy. Nice to speak to you both, as always. Love you both, like brothers. <laughs> you too, bro. And Freddie Webb, cheers again, mate. No worries. Always. Always nice to be on, and I hope people enjoyed that, even though it was a very ranty and, you know, depressing episode, but I'm sure people got something out of it. I think it would be more frustrating if we came on and gave our opinions, well, not our opinion, if we came on and just tried to sugarcoat what's going on at the moment. That would would annoy me if I was listening. No, Um, we're not expressive, are we? Sing. Shots fired. (laughs) Lastly, obviously... Apologies for not singing any of the songs which you guys submitted this week. We'll do it next week. I know the guys are raring to pop star it up. Literally, I'm not, but I have been walking around wanting to sing He's Got the Whole World in His Hands from a couple of the submissions for the last four hours. <laughs> it's just it's just a banger, let's be honest. <laughs> a banger, yeah, definitely. What's the um, 
there's one person I wanted to shout out to who I thought was pretty decent. Oh, well, the Mal and Romeo one. Yeah, I'll talk about it next week. But yeah, yeah when, our, when our voices have come back a little bit, it, it sounds <laughs> so bad. Like, it's going to be bad next week, but this week it really is going to be horrible. So uh, Freddie, on the other hand, he's actually a stage performer. He went to Brit school and he will absolutely slam all of us. Me and you, mate, I was on Songs uh, of uh, Praise. Uh, uh, X-Factor contestant, mate. Are, I was on Songs of Praise in year three, so... They're renaming it Freddie's Got Talent. And were Freddy's you really got on talent. Were you were you really on um Songs of Phrase? Yeah, legit. I wasn't singing, but I was um yeah, I was asking Alan Titchmarsh about how long like crabs in rock pools live for and all that jazz. I mean, it's a great fact, honestly. Not many people have been on I Songs want that Phrase. video so much. So honestly, <laughs> Fred, we had it we had it recorded on VHS and it got lost when my grandparents passed away. I would do terrible things to own that VHS just so I could burn it so no one else could ever watch it. The only things I've done, which is on video, which is actually still knocking around, is when I was teaching, they recorded a video and I basically dressed up as a, a penguin um, when I was working in primary school and put us out of a an igloo, which are made out of foam blocks to ice ice baby, um, doing various dance moves at that time. So I've, yeah. I think I've seen that on Red Tube, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That'd be so illegal if that was true. Be <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!